Welcome to Family Matters with your host, Dr. Virginia Collin. In this program, we will explore some of the challenges families face and the solutions they create in today's world, where marriage, parenting, and family forms are not what they once were. Now, here is Dr. Virginia Collin. Welcome to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin, professional family mediator. My guest today is Jerry Lincoln, who has written and published more than 25 books in various genres. The book I discovered is The Journey That Matters, Lessons and Stories for Caregivers. And specifically, this is for caregivers of their own elderly parents. Jerry used a pen name for the book. It's published as written by Jody Leitner, but she's really Jerry Lincoln. And the book describes through stories some of the challenges of caring for an aging parent. Jody's favorite genre is children's books, but right now she's branching out and working on a thriller. Welcome to the show, Jerry. It's great to have you here. So one of the things that you needed to do in this book to make it useful was to be honest about some things that were true about your mom and even sometimes about yourself that weren't things that make people happy. Yeah. Tell me about talking with your mother about about how to do that or whether to do whether it was okay to do that. Well, at one point I had I had told her all along that I wanted to do a book on what was going on. And at one point she said to me, um I don't know if you're going to include the bad stuff about me in this book. And I said, yes, I am. She said, I think you should. Yeah. So it kind of gave me permission to open up and everything. Yeah, yeah. It was a brave thing for her to say. Yes, it was. And having read the book, I know that she was in many ways a, a strong woman, a tough woman. But even so, that's a lot to give your daughter permission to tell Put it in writing, things that are not very complimentary about you. Absolutely. And she was aware of it. I mean, that was a thing. She was aware of it. So. Yeah. That was cool. Well, let's start with the story a little bit. Your book, near the beginning of your book, you say that you watched your mom die, but then a different version of your mother was still around for another two and a half years. Tell me a little bit about that. She was staying at our house because she she had her own, my mom had her own apartment, but at the time her stroke happened, which is when I thought I saw her die, um, she had had a heart attack a week or two before, and so she was staying with us temporarily. And um, she woke me up in the middle of the night saying that she felt funny, and so I went downstairs and she wanted to go into the restroom, and um, so I called my husband down. And he came down, we helped her, and she could barely walk. She could literally barely walk. There was one of, us, one of us on each side of her. We helped her into the bathroom. And at that point, she kind of leaned against the wall and had her eyes crinkled tight shut, and she couldn't talk. And um, I was certain this was it. My mother was dying. And uh, the ambulance came, picked her up, took her, took her in. They didn't let me sit in the back. I sat in the front seat. And um, it was about 30 minutes to the hospital, 20, 30 minutes. About three-quarters of the way there, she starts talking again. And she sounds like almost normal. And it was like, 
I just watched you die. And then there she was again, alive again. But then subsequently she had a couple more strokes and then, you know, it was much worse. But, but that moment when, I, when we helped her into the bathroom and she was leaning against the wall, I thought, this is it. My mom is dying. Mm-hmm. And then as you describe it afterwards, and maybe it was after a couple more strokes, um, the person who was left in the same body that your mom lived in didn't seem like the same person. No, she was completely different. Not completely, completely. As I read the book, I, I as I read the book again, <laughs> um, I learned more information that I had forgotten about. Um, but she was. There were things that she did that she never would have done before. That she became things that she never would have. You know, she was just complete. One huge difference was that my mom, her focus, her entire life was reading books. She was a bookaholic, just like I am. And that's all she ever wanted to do was read books. And she couldn't read after that. And I, I even offered to bring her um, books on tape, and she wasn't interested. And I thought, for my mom, whose life focused on books, not to be interested in that. And that was one of the more benevolent things that she was different at. She, was also, she also became extremely abusive. And she may have been a little abusive before, but it wasn't overt like afterwards. And um, just in many ways, it, there were so many ways in which I saw that she wasn't who she was. And that, in some ways, it gave me peace of mind that she wasn't because she was so horrible in some ways. But in the other way, it was like she died, but she didn't die because the person that I was left with really wasn't my mom at all. So that was difficult for me. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that does come through in your book is some of how difficult it is to be grieving for the mother you remember and the mother you loved while having to help with taking care of somebody who looks like your mother but doesn't act like your mother. Exactly. It was like, I don't know if you've seen the, the original movie, um, The Body Snatchers, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It was like that. She was so different, it was, you know, it was like, this isn't my mom. Why do I have to even do this? This isn't my mom. Mm -hmm. It was very difficult. But clearly you did feel that you had to do it. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. And I I struggled with that, too, because I thought, am I a good daughter because I'm doing it even though I don't really want to? Or am I a bad daughter because I don't really want to? So (laughs) that was another guilt producer there. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot of guilt that you had to deal with. Yes. Some of which was was deliberately inflicted by your mom. Yes, she was very good at that. Very good. Yeah, that was um, the the incidents I remember are to try to make you come visit her more often. Yeah, there was there was one incident. It actually was kind of in the beginning. I think she was still in the hospital, and and I couldn't come in for some. There was something that I had already planned to do and I couldn't get out of it and then when I went in the next day she kind of ran ran me upside and down the other and the doctor was in the room at the time and so when he was leaving I walked out with him and he said wow she's really trying to manipulate you isn't she and before he said that I really didn't understand what was going on so that was kind of enlightening that he said that to me. yeah yeah, and that comes through elsewhere in the book that sometimes one of the social workers or, or one of the other staff members at the nursing home would be able to tell you 
their perspective on your mother's behavior and then you could see something clearly that had just been irritating you but you didn't know the name for it. <laughs> yes, exactly. The staff were incredible and, and even to the point where my mom would often berate me when I went in for or disparage me about something and it was just yet almost constant and then one of the people, I think it was the activities director, said to me one time about how much my mom appreciated what I did and how proud of me she was. And it was like a wake-up call. It was like, what? My mom said that to you? I didn't believe it because her actions did not show that. And she didn't say it to you? Never. She never wow. did. That's so hard. Mm-hmm. It was very well, difficult, but thank, thankfully for the um, activities director, I learned about it. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is a good time for me to ask you something our listeners would probably like to know. If you discover that your parent really has to be in a nursing home, you can't take care of her or him in your own home, what are the things that you should be thinking about and looking for when you're choosing a nursing home? I think the most important thing is you've got to kind of put yourself in the parent's position and see if you would be comfortable in a place like that. The place that we ended up with was just so wonderful. I I could have lived there. I honestly could have lived there. The food was carefully prepared. There wasn't a hint of abuse with any of the staff. They were all wonderful and caring people. And um, the I, I've mentioned her before, the activities director. The activities in a nursing home are really important. Because that's basically your your parents' whole life is, you know, there. So to have someone who's really creative and um, with the with the activities that they choose and, and bring in, because sometimes they bring in people to, like, play the piano or something like that, it's really important for that because that's such a huge part of the parents' life. And I was really lucky with that. Our activities director, she was... She was seriously like a comedian. Almost everything out of her line, mouth was like a one-liner that you'd crack up at. So it was, it was a really good situation. I got really lucky. And you, I guess your choices were limited, so that was lucky that you had an excellent nursing home right in your community. It was a small town, and there were a couple of them initially, and then one of them went down, one under. But mm-hmm. um, And then there was another one, you know, a little ways away, but... Basically, yes, I got very, very lucky. It was excellent. I know a lot of people really worry about having to go to a nursing home or having to send a parent to a nursing home. They're afraid that a nursing home is just where people who are very old and very sick are waiting around to die. And that was not your experience. No, not really. I mean, there were people there like that. I mean, I think it's a nursing home. You know, you have to expect some of that, but... This was really a happy place. I mean, it really was. There wasn't like the depression and the darkness and, you know, the things that you hear about nursing homes. There was the, you know, there was the bad smells and everything. It's a nursing home. These people, you know, are not always continent and, you know, they clean it up as fast as they can. But I I think I described it as a full sensory experience. And there, you know, there are the people that are moaning. But basically, it was a, a happy place. And I think part of it was that part of this particular nursing home was residential. So um, kind of like uh, heavy-duty assisted living, which is what my mother was at at the end. 
Mm-hmm. So, so, so part that of was it was people who went somewhere else at night? Pardon? I, I don't understand. Are you saying that part, part of it was for people who went somewhere else at night? No, it was a nursing home, but part of it was designated as, um, I think they called it residential, but it's basically you don't need the amount of care that you do in the other section. Oh, so okay. My, my mother, you know, normally on the nursing home side, they would be constant care from the nurses. But on the assisted living side, they'd make sure she ate, they'd make sure she got her medication, but she was kind of on her own for a lot of the other stuff. So there uh, were people like that there also. I see. Okay. And there was a, um, a time when your mom made the transition, and I found it kind of interesting that there was a state evaluator to determine whether she was ready to make that transition. Tell me a little bit about that. If you want your parent, well, let's say the nursing home was really expensive, and you say, I want them in the assisted living part because it was cheaper. Um, and the nursing home says, I don't think so. And then you don't know, are they doing it for the money or are they doing it, you know, because they really think so. So there's a state, at least in Maine, this was in Maine, um, there was a state-ordered evaluation. And it was, um, it was of the patient's need for help with activities of daily, daily living. And it was bed mobility, can they move freely, can they turn over by themselves, transfer, can they get from the bed to the wheelchair by themselves? Toilet, can they go to the bathroom without assistance? Locomotion, um, a wheelchair is okay as long as they can make it roll by themselves. Eating from fork to mouth. There is a, a, um, a complication where some people have to have their food thickened so they can swallow it easier, and that is not counted against them, just if they can get it from their fork to the mouth. So I can't remember the exact thing, but I think it's they need three of the they they have to fail three of those things to be nursing home, and if they if they have uh, any kind of dementia, then it's two plus the dementia. Mm-hmm. But it's basically to protect you and your parent. Yeah, and you found it very helpful that there was sort of a third party neutral evaluator, so you didn't have to rely on your own judgment or the judgment of the nursing home. Basically, my own judgment. <laughs> I think I trusted the nursing home, but not my, you know, I was always second-guessing myself, and of course my mother always had to put her two cents in, so I was glad that there was somebody there to substantiate what I thought. Mm-hmm. What was one of the most difficult things to deal with once your mother was in the nursing home for a while? She wanted to go home to her apartment. And it was like she still couldn't walk. She, you know, had trouble eating, and, and, but she wanted to go. And she was doing, her physical therapist raved about how well she was doing. And this was like, I think she was 92 years old, and she was recovering just at an incredible rate. And um, so my mom kept saying, I can go home, I can go home. And, uh, but she couldn't go home. And, but... Could she, you know, how soon could she? I mean, it seemed like maybe she could eventually go home. So do I keep the apartment for a year or two, or do I get rid of it and get her a new one if, if, if that happens? And then the, uh, there was a complication because somebody was interested in renting her apartment, and she was, my mom was on a lease. So it was like, okay, now I have to decide really quickly because they wanted it soon. And um, 
finally, I, I finally decided with great reluctance that, yes, I need to give it up. But I thought, I can't tell her because that would devastate her. So I had to get everybody in on it. Don't tell her that I'm giving up the apartment. So I got everybody in on it, and I slowly started talking to my mom. You know, you still can't walk. Um, I think maybe that you need a different place that's, you know, more that you're capable of. You know, just slowly, a little at a time. And she finally agreed. And um, it turned out that what she really wanted to do was she didn't want to let the apartment go because she didn't want to hurt her landlord's feelings because she was really close to them. And then oh after I gave it up, it was like, oh, God, this was so obvious. She couldn't eat without the food being thickened. She couldn't drink without the water being thickened. And there were just so many things that, you know, it was just so obvious, but so much was going on, and I was so overwhelmed with the choice, I couldn't see clearly enough to make the decision. Mm-hmm. Is that, in your experience with friends and other people you've gotten to know in this situation, is that common, just to be overwhelmed with the decisions that you have to make? I think it must be. I, I, it was just, yes, I would say definitely. I had uh, a couple of friends that were going through it at the same time as me, and they had different issues, but it's still overwhelming. It's just, there's just so much to consider. Um, the parents and where they are and, you know, what's going to happen. And there are just so many things coming at you all at once in the family, how they're reacting. So, yes, I would say overwhelming is, is a given. Mm. Okay. Um, in a moment, we will be taking a break, and I want to let my listeners know that we'll be coming back with much more to discuss about how uh, taking care of a parent who's elderly and impaired affects your marriage, what happens in your relationships with siblings, um, you know, what you need to do so that you can get through it and, and do a good job of it. So we'll be back soon. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively, In a private, confidential setting, we help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Sadly, that's wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, or co-parenting, there is a better way. Family mediation. Save time 
save money, and make good plans for your children. Visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at APFMNet.org. That's APFMNET.org. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at collinfamilymediationgroup.com. Now, back to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin, talking today with Jerry Lincoln, author of The Journey That Matters, Lessons and Stories for Caregivers. And we're on Family Matters. Before the break, we were talking about the difficult decision to give up your mom's apartment, which you finally did. And once it was done, it was okay with your mom. But then I think she still talked about wanting to come home. What did she mean by that? And, and how did you deal with that? She kept wanting to go home, and she would say she didn't really mean her apartment at that point. She may have meant her own apartment or my house, which was another story. But she um, she exceeded when when she was working with a physical therapist. She exceeded all expectations and surprised everyone. She was just recovering so quickly for someone that age, and she gave me the impression that everybody thought she was ready to leave. And um, at one point, the, the social worker asked me if I planned to take my mother home. And it was during this time when my mom kept telling me they thought she could leave. And I just wrestled with the idea for, for days. And it was like, I, I just don't think she's ready. She still couldn't walk. She was still eating, you know, the, the thickened food and the thickened water and everything. And I just didn't think she could. And I, I just was, I couldn't get over it. And at one point... I said to her, you can't even wipe your own behind. And the next day she told me, I told them that, and they said, you could wipe it for me. <laughs> so <laughs> it was like, okay, Mom. So I was incredibly frustrated. I said, okay, I've got to call the social worker. And the social worker had always been very supportive, and I thought, I'm just going to be honest with her and tell her, I don't think this is right. So I called her up, and as soon as she heard my voice, she said, I've been meaning to call you. And I said, oh, why? She said, your mom said you're going to take her home, and I don't think she's ready. <laughs> so it was like, okay, okay, now, now we both got it, you know, because she was thinking the same thing. She, she knew my mother wasn't ready, and my mom was telling her that I wanted to take her home. So that was uh, kind of a funny thing that, you know, my mother That's, that's marvelous. With. That's like the little kid or the, the teenager who, who tells dad, mom said I could do it. And she tells mom, dad said I could do it. <laughs> exactly. Ex- that's exactly what it was. <laughs> exactly. Oh, but probably it was good for her to have that idea that if she kept on regaining health, then she would be able to go home. Yeah, she was very motivated. Mm-hmm. She was definitely motivated. Yeah. And I suppose at some point that may have been a real, po- a realistic possibility that she would become well enough to go home. Do you think so? Um, I don't know. if I, she Because even before her stroke, she was having trouble walking. Mm-hmm. And um, so afterward, they thought she was improving, but 
the best that she would have gotten would have been having real trouble walking. So I honestly don't think that would have happened. Mm-hmm. So um, I understand that even before her stroke, she was sometimes coming to stay with you and your husband because of problems with her heart or some other medical difficulty. At what point did that start to really be a strain on your marriage? Not so much then, but I think the strain on the marriage actually started when she went into the nursing home. That was it. Because then when she was when she stayed with us, it was always a brief episode, and then she'd go back home and she could take care of herself perfectly well. Mm-hmm. But when she moved into the nursing home, then I had to do so much more. I had to, you know, I was needed to go see her all the time. I needed to take care of everything that she wanted, you know, things outside of the nursing home's realm. And um, there was just so much more involved. And then the struggle with my family, and it was like coming at me from all ends. That was that was what was hurting the marriage. Yeah. And at one point, my, my ex, he's my ex-husband now, but I have to say our marriage at that point was pretty solid. And I don't think that the end of it had to do with the nursing home or my mother episode. But um, anyway, he and I really never fought. We were not a bickering couple. But after she went into the nursing home, we were finding ourselves bickering all the time. And at one point, we like looked at each other and said, whoa, wait, what's going on? And then we realized it was like eating away at us a little piece at a time we didn't even notice. And then suddenly, here we are, you know, bickering, which we never had done before. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so you, I think you have a few brothers and sisters. I forget how many or where they live. How did it happen that you were the only one who had so much responsibility for taking care of your mom and the siblings were not chipping in more? My mother lived in a city by herself. All the, uh, I have three brothers. All three of them had moved as had I. And I was living on the East Coast, and she was on the West, on the West Coast. And um, she started having, she had a heart attack, oh, maybe five years before she moved to where I was. And um, so she, when she had the first heart attack, she stopped driving. And when she stopped driving, she had just such a horrible time getting from one place to the other. They, where she lived, they used to give them taxi coupons. And so she got these taxi coupons, and she could use those a lot, but there wasn't enough of them. And also she'd tell me stories about, I talked to her every week, and she'd tell me stories about going to the market, calling the taxi, and him not showing up for 45 minutes while she was sitting outside with her groceries waiting. Mm. And she couldn't get to the doctor, and, you know, there were all these stories where she wasn't able to really take care of herself. So at least in that way, get around, I should put Mm -hmm. it that way. And uh, so finally I said, why don't you move here? And so she did. She came all the way to the East Coast to a place that had snow, which she wasn't happy about at all, but she wanted, you know, it was her, it was her choice to move there. And so she was far away from any of my brothers at that point, even farther than she was already. And I was always the one who took care of her anyway. I called her every week, and we, you know, we remained close. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of fell on me. Yeah. Was that a decision that you discussed with your brothers, or was that just sort of automatic given the nature of the relationships you'd had? At the point my mom was having the issue with getting around from one place to another, 
Um, one of my brothers, I, I have to give him credit, he actually paid somebody to take her for a while. And then that person couldn't do it and he couldn't find anybody else. I have to give him credit for that. But nobody was really that concerned about what was going on. So when I offered her to come to where I lived and my ex, my husband could take her, you know, and because my husband did all the shopping. So he would take her shopping and take her to the library and, you know, things like that. She was like, yes, I'll come. So there was never any question. None of the brothers said, oh, no, I'll take her. So it was, you know, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I didn't have to fight for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you volunteer, then you get the job. <laughs> yes, yeah. I think everybody stepped back at that point. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. But you, you did, all of you, you and your husband and your mom, all made the decision that she should have an apartment of her own, not be just moving in with you and your husband. That was never a choice. She was very, very clear about that. She, she liked seen, her independence. Yeah, she loved her independence, and she had also seen instances where the, uh, one of the elderly parents moved in and it ruined the marriage, and she loved my husband, and she didn't want anything, she didn't want that to happen. And that was another thing when she was in the nursing home, how I knew that it wasn't the real mother, because she never wanted to live with us. Even when she stayed with us briefly, she wanted to get back to her apartment. And um, so when she wanted to move in with us, uh, this is not my mother, because my mother would never want this. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think one of the other things about your original mom, your real mom, was that she never wanted to live in an impaired state. No, she didn't. And your new mom didn't mind. No, no. My mom used to say to me, Jerry, I know I can depend on you to give me a push if I need it. And what she meant was to kill her somehow. I, you know, I don't know what she thought I could do, but I wasn't going to do it. But then the new mom, she, she loved playing bingo, and she liked the crafts, and she liked the singers, and she was enjoying life. I, it was a really hard thing to reconcile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a real change. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think you mentioned that this was, you know, well, let's talk about, all the responsibilities. You had a full-time job. Yes. You had a marriage. Were yes. Did you have children, but they were already grown? No, I didn't have any children. Okay. So you had a full-time job, and you had a husband, and that was a relationship that mattered. And now suddenly you have to spend a lot of time trying to understand medical things and make decisions on your mom's behalf. And you have to spend a lot of time visiting her because she demands it. Yes. Yes, it was very difficult because um, she wouldn't let up. I mean, no matter how often I visited her, she wanted more. And it was like the whole thing involving my mother consumed every moment when I wasn't working. It consumed every moment because I had to make all these decisions. And it wasn't just the decisions. I'd run them, them by my brothers, at least in the beginning I did, and they would each have their opinion, and they were often contrary to what I really thought was the right thing to do. And so then I had to deal with that, and then my ex-husband and I would discuss it. And um, it was like every moment was consumed with, do I do this or do I do that? Should I have done that? Should I have done that? You know, second-guessing myself, making the decisions. It was, it was absolutely consuming. Mm-hmm. And that was a great strain, not only on your marriage, but on your own health. 
I was getting headaches all the time. I was getting these horrible headaches that would last days. And a friend of mine, my next-door neighbor, actually, she said to me, well, I can tell you this. If you have a stroke, I'll be happy to take you to the hospital. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's very helpful. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You did write somewhere in the book that, you know, all the feelings you were having about having to deal with all this, the, your feelings were driving you crazy. Your feelings were killing you. Oh, especially in the beginning, it was like I didn't know what to think about the situation. I didn't know how I should feel. And the most important thing was I didn't know what to hope for. Should I hope that she dies because she didn't want to live like this? Should I hope that she lives and then have her be you know, angry at me for letting her? So the not knowing even what to hope for, that was the most difficult thing of all. Wow. I had not, I had not thought about that. That sounds really hard. Well, you obviously learned a lot going through all of these experiences with your mother. What would you most like the listeners to get from the show today? What would you most want people to learn about? I think the most important thing, and it's something that I think almost everybody discounts, is taking care of yourself first. I saw two things on Facebook just yesterday. Two little quotes. Self-love is not selfish. You cannot serve from an empty vessel. And then the second one was, you can't pour from an empty cup. Take care of yourself first. And the thing that I remembered most about it, and I think I wrote this part in the book, is that when you get on an airplane and the flight attendant comes and tells you, if you have a child next to you, put on your own oxygen mask first. You have to take care of yourself first. If something happens to you, and it will if you don't take care of yourself, then who is going to take care of your parent? You know, especially if you have no backup like I didn't. There was nobody there who could step in for me if something happened to me. You Mm. must take care of yourself. It's not being selfish. It's actually in the best interest of your parent to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. So what could you do to take care of yourself? I think a place to start would be keeping a journal, writing it down, sending emails. I'm actually, I'm more, um, I like writing rather than being verbal. But if you're more verbal, talk to people. Talk to everybody that you can, friends, relatives, anybody who will listen. Just getting that out, if you want to write it, writing a journal is just really excellent. You can put your personal things there. You can put things in there that you wouldn't say to anybody else and even write letters and you don't even have to send them. Um, I think it's really important to express yourself in that way at the very, at the very minimum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I wrote, when, I'm sorry. When I wrote this yeah. book, it was extremely cathartic for me, and I think that's the, the necessary part with talking to people and writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? How, is there a way you can advise people about getting support from other people? There are support groups. Where I lived, it was pretty minimal, but there are even support groups online that you can, you can go to. And um, at one point, I thought that I would hire somebody to go visit my mother. I mean, there are all kind of things that you can come up with if you're creative. 
And um, if you can find somebody else who's going through it at the same time that you are, that is a really excellent way to handle it. Mm-hmm. Did you find any unexpected sources of support? The, one of the best stories about my whole episode with my mother in the nursing home was one time she had been asking me to make an appointment for her at the dentist. And she called me at this time. I was busy with something else. I can't remember the exact circumstances. But I ended up giving her the dentist number. And I didn't know if she could dial it or not, but I just gave it to her because I needed to finish making dinner or whatever I was doing. So a few minutes later, I get a call from a woman, and she said, are you Iris's daughter? And I said, yes. And it turned out that my mother had accidentally dialed this woman. And she had one of her parents was in the same nursing home that my mother was. And we just talked for a few minutes, and it was just, when I got off the phone with this literal stranger, I felt like I had been hugged. It was the most amazing thing. It was just out of nowhere, and it was just a wonderful, wonderful experience. Mm Hmm. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, Did you have people you thought would be supportive, and they let you down? Yeah, my brothers, I I had no idea that they were going to do what they did. They were actually negatively supportive. Instead of being supportive, they would go against everything that I said, everything I wanted, everything my mother wanted. And um, it was very difficult. Not only it made my decisions, wor- it made my, my decisions worse because I didn't know if I should listen to them or shouldn't I. Should I, you know, go with what my mom wanted and what I thought was the right thing, or should I do what they said, because they seemed to, you know, be authority. They thought they were anyway. So, so that was, yes. Some guys that was are very just difficult. like that. Pardon? Some guys are just like that. They yeah. think they're authorities, whether they are or not. Yeah, exactly. I guess some women, too. Yeah. Yeah. True. Wow. Um, I wonder, did you at any point think of calling upon a family mediator or calling upon a family therapist to help you talk with each other and sort it out about who should be making the decisions and and who really understood what was going on? I never considered that, but now that you're saying that, I think it would have been a great idea. It would have been difficult because we were in different places, but nowadays you can do that stuff with Skype and everything. Yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely recommend that. I didn't do it, and it's a great, great idea. Well, thank you. <laughs> okay, um, it's time for us to take another break, and we will be back and talk more about uh, how the family changes and learns and, and grows and other aspects of dealing with taking care of an elderly parent. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, Visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. 
Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. Family members too often find themselves in court arguing about separation, parenting schedules, financial issues, divorce, estates, or care of an elderly relative. There's a better way to solve a family problem. Work with a professional mediator in private, confidential meetings. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's apfmnet.org. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at collinfamilymediationgroup.com. Now, back to Family Matters. On Family Matters, I'm Virginia Collin talking with Jerry Lincoln about what she learned and has to share with you in the process of taking care of her mother during for two for a period of about two and a half years after she had a stroke that did enough brain damage so that the person who was left just was not the same person who used to be her mother. Um, Jerry, I want to ask you, um, what was your biggest struggle as a caregiver? I think the biggest struggle was not really knowing where I stood. Um, I didn't have any children, like I said, but if, I think if I would have, it would have even been, been worse. Would I be a mother? Would I be a daughter? Um, with me, it was a daughter, a wife, and or my own person. Um, being the daughter, I had to take care of my mother. Being the wife, I had to take care of my husband. But what about my own needs? And I think that's, that's the struggle. It goes along with the whole self-care thing that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Did you ever consider that maybe you just had to give up your job so that you could do what other people needed from you? Or is that just not an option? <laughs> it wasn't an option, although I did get laid off for the last year of my mom's um, when she was in there. But I still didn't go see her anymore because at that point the relationship had deteriorated that she was just berating me all the time. And I wasn't, even though I wasn't working, I wasn't going to do that. Actually, that's when I started writing this book. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I think that that's something that we haven't talked about a lot. But your relationship with your mother underwent quite a change. You wrote that when you were younger, for most of your life, she had been in many ways really supportive um, maybe sometimes critical and demanding and saying you don't really measure up to who I think you ought to be, but nevertheless 
supportive, someone you could confide in and trust. And that changed. My mom was my best friend. I talked to her once a week, no matter where I lived, and I rarely lived in the same city as her, and, um, as she did. And uh, she was literally my best friend. I told her everything, and I mean everything, <laughs> things I shouldn't have told her. I told her. That's how close we were. And she was very supportive. Um, at one point, this is something not in the book, but it's funny, I used to have a, a boa constrictor. And she was my pet, and I would, when I moved, I would move from one place to another. She would be, and I, she fit in a purse that I had. And so I would put her in the purse, and then we would, you know, I would drive. Well, my mother, when I would move from one place to another, she'd often accompany me. Where was the bow constrictor in the purse? On my mother's lap. <laughs> <laughs> she was incredibly supportive in every way. She really was. She was an incredible... She was an incredible mother in a way, in a lot of ways, and, and the demanding and the not measuring up, that was never overt. It was, uh, well, there's one story about the nursing home. Uh, she wanted me to bring her some grapefruit, and so I brought her grapefruit, and this is typical of how she would handle things. I would bring her the grapefruit, and she, oh, thank you, but I sure wish I had them last night. <laughs> Nothing that I did was ever measured up to what she expected, you know, it was never enough. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And then I, I think you mentioned that both before and after the stroke, it was a very rare thing for her to admit that she was wrong. Yes, that is <laughs> very true. He didn't like admitting she was wrong because she never was wrong. That was the thing. She never was wrong. <laughs> you know, that sounds a little bit like my dad. There are two ways to do, there are two ways to do anything, his way and the wrong way. <laughs> Yep. And he was a very impressive man. <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, your mom really had a huge personality change. She, uh, she became someone who was overtly critical and demanding and complained a lot and really became abusive to you. She was incredibly abusive, and um, I became... It, it took me a while to realize, you know, the process went slowly until suddenly I realized... I was a servant. She would have these things lined up for me when I came to visit her, all these jobs that she wanted me to do. And uh, it, in the beginning, it was like she just longed to see me, and that passed, and then suddenly I'm a servant. And that's how she treated me, was like a servant, a bad servant. Mm. Mm. It was very difficult to live with. Mm-hmm. You did mention that there was one good thing that came from her being good at complaining, and that was that she became a very effective patient's rights advocate within the nursing home. Yeah. My mom had always, you know, she got a, a TV dinner or something, and it said chicken TV dinner, and there was only one piece of chicken. She'd write a letter to the company. One time, she, my mom liked to sew her own clothes, and she bought a pattern that was missing a piece. She wrote a letter to the company. So even after she was in the nursing home, she still retained that. And um, there was a, one, one instance, I can't remember exactly, but they were all sitting in the dining room waiting for them to bring dinner. And she would, they were waiting and waiting and waiting, and nobody was bringing them dinner. And my mom said, well, I'm going to see what's going on. So she goes to the other room and gets them and brings them out there. 
And she was always doing things like that where she would stand up for everybody else. And even the nursing home, they called her the, the patient advocate. She was, you know, okay, that's, that's her, and she's going to take care of that. Yeah. So she was really good, for, good with that, and it was, it was really kind of cool to see. Yeah. And, and if, a fascinating mix, too, because she was actually pretty mean to some of the other residents of the nursing home. She was mean to the residents, and she was also mean to some of the staff, yes. Mm. Yes. Yeah, tough to deal with. Very tough. Very yeah. tough. We were talking earlier about um, having the kind of support you need so that you can, I don't know, help sort through decisions and so that you can take good care of yourself and preserve some time to take care of your marriage, to be good to your husband. Um, I think that you tell one story in the book, maybe it's about someone named Amy, about um, making assumptions about support that you thought you should be getting and it wasn't showing up. And then you had to reevaluate your assumptions. Would you like to tell that, was, that story? Yes, that was really a terrible thing, and I still feel horrible about it. Um, Amy was my niece, is my niece, and um, she just she was always very close to my mother and me. And it was like she was not stepping up. She wasn't calling my mom. She wasn't writing to my mom. And I felt, and I think it, I think she and I even got into an argument early on about it. And then after my mom was in the nursing home, maybe a year, year and a half, something like that, she and her family came to visit. And I thought, well, I've got to bring this up and talk about it. You know, I'm glad you're here, but why didn't you, you know, why weren't you calling and writing before? She said, how do you know I wasn't calling? And I said, because mom never mentioned it. She said, Jerry, (laughs) (laughs) your mom didn't tell you. So apparently she was doing those things, but my mom never mentioned them to me. Mm-hmm. And um, so I felt really horribly guilty about that. And she stayed a week, saw my mom every single day. They had two or three meals. She and her family, she had two little kids. They all had dinner with my mom. I think it was two meals a day with my mom. She spent like her whole vacation with my mother. And, wow. it just, and I felt so bad that I had had those bad thoughts before, thinking my mom, you know, thinking that she wasn't doing anything when it was just my mom wasn't telling me she was. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, a good uh, reminder for all of us to check ourselves and get the facts. Yeah, I, w- I was depending on somebody who couldn't even always remember her own name. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. But also, I think maybe you were making an, a kind of a natural assumption because you did have so many friends who, for the first maybe two or three months would stay in touch with you and say, oh, I'm sorry, your mom is doing poorly. I'm sorry you have to deal with all this. But then when it wasn't new anymore, these friends just kind of fell away. It was friends and family. Yes, absolutely. And it wasn't even two or three months. I think it was more like weeks or maybe a month at the most. Everybody was very supportive in the beginning. Oh, your mother, you know, you had a stroke and da-da-da. And everybody was very supportive. And then... Um, the stroke didn't go away, and I was still left to deal with this, and it was really like being abandoned. I felt in some ways it was almost like being dead because everybody else was going on with their own life, and I had to deal with this all alone. So it was very, I don't even, hurtful isn't the right word. It was really like being abandoned. Wow. Very difficult. Yeah. I'm so sorry that you had to deal with that. It made me stronger. (laughs) 
Oh, there's some consolation, I guess, in almost anything. Yeah. Um, I've been having a great time talking with you and learning more from you. Um, and, and I notice now that we're getting sort of close to the end of the show. Um, I wonder, do you want to say something about, there's a lovely chapter called A Tale of Two Daughters. Do you want to um, tell about that? Yes. Um, one of, one of, a good friend of mine who was going through the same thing, my mom was in a nursing home, and her mother was in a house across the street from her with a full-time nurse. And um, there was this one incident that came up where my mom wanted to ride in the car, and I really didn't want her to. And so I talked to my friend, and I said, you know, what do you do? And she said, oh. She said, well, my mom isn't continent either, and, you know, she has a diaper on, and we bring an extra one, and we bring a towel, and we put down plastic, and it was like... To me, this situation was monumental. How can I get her in the car? And this friend of mine just went through the whole thing, like that, that, that. And, you know, she did it all the time, and it was like nothing. And I thought talking to her would make me feel better, you know, we're going through the same stuff. And it made me feel really worse. I, I felt so horrible that I was such a bad daughter that I couldn't do this one thing. And so I spoke to my cousin about it. And she said, Jerry, you're two different people. And even though the situations look alike, they're different. You're different. Your parents are different. It's completely different. And then ultimately, this friend of mine at one point said to me, I admire the way you're taking care of your mother. And she meant it. And I said to her, and I admire the way you're taking care of your mother. And I meant it too. It was like a really nice, you know, thing for mm-hmm. the, the whole deal. Mm-hmm. I'm getting choked up thinking about that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's sweet. <laughs> so let's see. Um, maybe we should say a little about being confused about what was a dream and what's reality when you're old and your mind is starting to go. My mom had so much trouble with that. She would sometimes she had really vivid dreams, and she had this one that she had this one roommate that was. Uh, basically in the fetal position all the time. The only time she got up was to eat or go to the bathroom. And um, she, she couldn't do anything but just lay there. And my mom had this dream that this woman stole her sewing machine. And she called me yelling and screaming about the sewing machine. She called the police. She made a big fuss with the, with the nurses. And there was just all this to do about it. And I kept saying, I have the sewing machine. She did well. I know she took it. She told me she took it. I said, no, it's not. And it turned out to be a dream, and the dream kept going on. I mean, it was like she couldn't get out of it or something. And even mm. the next day she said, so are you going to call the police? Because she still has a machine. She couldn't, she couldn't figure out that this was not reality. And it was, you know, there were other things that happened as well. But that sewing machine, when it was the worst, she actually called the police. The police called the nursing home. And, you know, this woman is, is you know, wailing upset with my mother yelling at her and she's laying there she can't do anything she obviously couldn't take a thing and Mm. um but my mom often was confused like that even with thinking that her parents were still there her sisters that had already passed on were there and uh then she'd she'd call me and say one time she called whose side are you on because some dream, you know, I had done something against her or something, and she was still angry. And at one point she said, stay out of my dream then. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please do. <laughs> oh, we are not going to be able to cover everything that you covered in your book. Um, 
but I, I, we've got a minute left. I just would like you to say something about coping with the way your mom would get much better and much worse and much better and much worse. How do you deal with those ups and downs? It was impossible to deal with. It was absolutely impossible because sometimes I'd go in and she would look like she was going to die any second. And so I'd go home thinking, okay, that was the last time I saw my mother. I have to deal with it. I have to come to terms with it. The next day I would go in to check on her, and she was back to almost nor- you know, her almost normal self. And, it, and, it, and that happened many times over the, the two and a half years she was in there. And every time I thought it was the end, even the doctor would say to me, well, I think this is the end. And finally he said to me one time, I don't know when it's going to be. Because she was just up and down so much. It was just, you never knew if she was going to die or live forever. And that's what it seemed like at the end. She's going to outlive me. (laughs) (laughs) Not quite. Yeah, I think one of the big points that I got from your book is that there is just a tremendous amount that is outside of your control. And you need to accept that and, you know... Make good choices about taking care of yourself and make good decisions about the things that you can control. Just do what you can and surrender to the rest. Yeah. Because you can't control it all. There's no way. You have to surrender. Any last thought that you would like to share? I think the most important thing, even though everybody rejects the idea, is you need to take care of yourself. That's so important. All right. Well, thanks very much. Um, In case anybody has forgotten, I've been talking with Jerry Lincoln, the author of The Journey That Matters, Lessons and Stories for Caregivers. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you very much, Virginia. Thank you for joining us this week on Family Matters. Please tune in for another edition featuring host Dr. Virginia Collin next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be kind, heal, and grow.